my question that I wanted to open with was, how do we react when, when life doesn't make sense or when things don't go our way? You know, when we show up and the AC isn't on, right? And it's an August day and it's 90 degrees and whatever percent humidity. How do we react when we've made plans, when we've tried our best, when we've tried to be faithful to the Lord and, and do what we think he wants us to do and try to, to execute our plans, but things still fall apart? Do we throw up our hands do we throw in the towel and just say, it's too hard, I just quit, I can't do it anymore? Well, as Christians, and I have some sobering news for us, as Christians, we are not immune to the struggles of life in this world. Life under the sun, as we've been talking about in Ecclesiastes. Just because we are children of God, adopted into his family, it doesn't mean that we're not going to experience pain, it doesn't mean that we're not going to experience hardship in this life. And we have been confronted with this message week after week as we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes during these past two months. I think it's been a very emotionally and sometimes spiritually heavy book. It's been a, I think some of the messages, some of the topics we've been talking about have been heavy. I know that I've personally felt it. Uh, I know that in talking with some of you, people have been wrestling with a lot of different things. And, you know, it's just, it's a hard, it's a hard book to go through. And I think... We may sound oftentimes like a broken record up here, just kind of hitting the same things over and over and over. But I think that's because we so quickly forget, don't we? We quickly forget about who God is. We quickly forget about his grace in our lives. And we need him. We need his word to continually wash over us, to continually remind us of his grace so that we can remember what he has done for us and that we can apply his wisdom to our lives. And Koheleth, who is the preacher who we're introduced to in the beginning of Ecclesiastes, he's been taking us on this journey, and he's been putting his finger on some pretty sensitive issues, issues related to our life under the sun, things like vanity or meaninglessness, talking about chasing after the wind or toiling and striving in this life and in this world. And all these things flow from this piercing question that he asks in the first chapter. He opens the book with this question. He says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? In other words, is it worth it to keep on keeping on? Is it worth it to keep on toiling and struggling in this life? We ask questions like, where is God in all of this? And why is life so difficult? And here in chapter 9, Koheleth is going to continue. He's going to put his finger on and he's going to poke and he's going to twist in order to get us to fix our gaze above the sun where true wisdom can be found. We've been talking about life under the sun and we've been continually trying to be reminded of what it looks like to look above the sun, to look over the sun. So there are three things in particular, and it kind of follows the ESV. If you're looking on with the ESV there, it's broken down into three sections. There are three areas that he, Koheleth in chapter 9, is going to expose three areas of our hearts that need to be transformed from an under-the-sun perspective to an over-the-sun perspective. The first one is the fear of death. The second one is the abuse of pleasure. And the third is the misguided pursuit of wisdom. So I want to consider three questions, and these are on uh, the handout there. These three questions relate to these areas. First, how can we face death under the sun? 
Second, how can we enjoy life under the sun? And how can we find wisdom under the sun? Those are the three questions that we're going to look at this afternoon. And I'm going to kind of answer them right away, um, just so you know. And we're going to kind of start with question three and work backwards. This is kind of the big idea here. If we find a better kind of wisdom, then we can truly enjoy our vain life under the sun, knowing that we were made for something more, and we can face death knowing that death doesn't get the final word. Find a better kind of wisdom, enjoy life under the sun, and face death knowing that death doesn't get the final word. So let's continue our journey here with Koheleth and see what God has to say to us through his word as we look at Ecclesiastes 9, verses 1 through 18. Please pay attention to the reading of God's word. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge in wisdom or wisdom in Sheol to where you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner 
destroys much good. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come this afternoon to your word, we need your wisdom. Lord, we need you to speak to your people. God, lift up our eyes above the sun. May we see you, may we know you, and may we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first question, how can we face death under the sun, begins in verse 1, and this is really a continuation of the vexing search that Koheleth is on that kind of he is talking about in the end of chapter 8. The, the all this, he says, all this I laid to heart in verse 1. The all this is talking about verse chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, where he's saying we cannot find out the work of God. Though we try, though we try to figure out what God is up to in the world, we can't always know it, and we can't always figure it out. And I think it's helpful for us to talk about this idea of mystery, this idea of mystery and God's sovereignty. Uh, we see the idea of God's sovereignty in verse 1, where I talk about, talking about everything is in the hands of God. And in my conversations with people, when I'm talking about things about God's sovereignty, I often try to make the point that in Reformed theology, in or what some people like to call Calvinism, we are actually okay with mystery. We are okay with not having to have all of the answers to all of life's questions. I think there's kind of a, maybe sometimes a misconception because we like to, you know, cross all of our theological T's and dot all of our theological I's and, and, and know what we believe. Sometimes there's this idea that we have to have it all together and we can't have any un, unknowns in life. But actually, I think the Reformed camp, if you will, actually has the biggest box for mystery because of what we believe about God's sovereignty. We're okay not having to have all of our questions answered all the time. And so just a, you know, a reminder, uh, maybe if you're having a discussion with somebody about some heated topic, you know, it's okay to say, I don't know, or it's okay to say, you know, this is a mystery. God knows. And I think Koheleth is kind of pushing us in that direction here in chapter 9. So everything is in the hand of God, and man does not know. Man does not know. And that's a good place for us to be sometimes, that we do not know. We don't have all the answers, and, and to be okay with that. Especially then as we consider what Koheleth says in verses 2 and 3. He reminds us of the inevitability of death with these words. He says, it is the same for all since the same event happens. And then down in verse 3, he's going to say again, the same event happens to all. This same event that he's talking about is death. We are all going to die. The same thing is going to happen to everybody. And he lists six opposite kinds of people. One is positive and one is negative in verse 2. The same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, the good one and the sinner, he who swears an oath and he who shuns an oath. Newsflash, the six good people are still going to die, just like the six evil people. 
And Kohalath sees all of this, and he says, this is an evil that is done under the sun, that the same event is going to happen to them all. So he's saying it really doesn't matter if you, if you are the good person compared to the, to the wicked person, you're still going to die. That's part of life. That's part of being under the sun. And then he reminds us in verse 3 that our hearts are full of evil and madness. The hearts of us as the children of man are full of evil. Madness is in our hearts while we live. And after that, we go to the dead. This idea of, of madness in our hearts, this idea of evil, is something that we like to call total depravity. And I think scripture over and over testifies to this. Our experience in life over and over testifies to this. We look out in the world and we see wickedness around us. We see wickedness around every corner. And we are reminded that the human heart, apart from the Lord, is wicked to the core. And our own hearts testify to this, don't they? Our own hearts testify to us how prone we are to wander, how prone we are to turn away from the Lord. And that's why we do a confession of sin every single Sunday. Every time we gather together, we do that confession of sin to say, man, I am not where I should be. My heart is prone to wander, and I need to confess my sins before the Lord and before my brothers and sisters, and I do need to be reassured of God's grace and God's forgiveness. It is a reminder every week that we need God to give us a new heart. Well, then in verse 4, Koheleth goes on and he says something that may seem to contradict something that we looked at earlier in Ecclesiastes. If you remember in chapter 4, he was talking about people who live under oppression in this world. And he was saying, for those who are living under oppression, it's better to be dead than to be alive. And then he said, he made this shocking statement. He actually said, it's, it's better to have never been born than to have been born and suffer under the oppression in this, in this life. So what's going on here? Uh, he says here in verse 4, he who is joined with all the living has hope. So here he's going to make this argument that it's actually, it's actually better to be alive than to be dead. So in, verse, in chapter 4, he's talking specifically about people who are suffering under oppression, and I don't think that is the exact context here. He's saying here that it's better to be alive than to be dead. And kind of the answer to this is really going to come in the next section when we talk about enjoying life under the sun. Then he uses this, he uses his, one of his, one of his is better than, uh, he kind of has this throughout the book, something is better than something else. And he says, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, if you are familiar at all with the Bible and especially the Old Testament, uh, you know that a dog is you do not want to be called a dog. <laughs> As a human, you do not want to be compared to a dog in the Bible. That was the lowest you could be on, on the, the totem pole. That's the lowest part of society you could be to be referred to as a dog. As not, it's not at all like how we picture dogs today. I was driving down 41 the other day and you know a lady drives past me and she's got her you know fuzzy little dog sitting on her lap and driving down the highway like that is not the picture of a dog in the bible you did not want to be 
called a dog. But, he says, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Well, what do we know about lions, right? The king of the jungle, right? Majesty, strength, power. A lion, you wanted to be compared to a lion, right? Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? A lion is a, is a powerful and majestic animal. But he's saying it's better to be on the lowest rung and still be alive than to have been way up here high on the highest rung and be dead. It's better to be alive. And I think, in, in reading through this chapter, I think this may kind of point us forward to the story that we're going to see about the poor wise man and the king who came against the city. I think there may be something going on there. But Koheleth concludes this section with a very bleak picture of what it means to die. He says that the dead know nothing. The dead have no reward, and the memory of them is forgotten. Verse, five, or verse 6, their love, hate, envy all perish, and they have no share in what is done under the sun. I think when we read this idea of the memory of us being forgotten, it's kind of a, a jarring thought, isn't it? Now, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the idea of the memory of you and your life being forgotten? And what lengths do we go to to try to make sure that doesn't happen? What are the things that we do to try to make people remember us? I think for most of us, in the grand scheme of things, most of us are going to live our lives in total obscurity, right? In a hundred years... There's not going to be a single person in this room, there's not going to be a single person alive who knew any of us in a hundred years. And really the memory of us is just going to be, you know, oh yeah, you know, I remember my dad, you know, talking about my great grandpa or whatever. That's, that's all it's going to be. Nobody's going to remember our lives in a hundred years. So how can we face death under the sun? How can we not fear the thing that will happen to all of us? And how can we be okay with being forgotten in this world? I think there's an under-the-sun answer to this question, and there's an over-the-sun answer. And Koheleth is going to give us an under-the-sun answer. The answer is, enjoy your life under the sun. And this leads us into the next section and to our next question. How can we enjoy life under the sun? Like the theme of death throughout Ecclesiastes, the theme of enjoyment has been addressed several times. And this here in chapter 9, verses uh, 7 through 10, this is kind of the biggest section where Koheleth addresses this topic of, of enjoyment, of pleasure in this life. And interestingly, this section is also full of imperatives. Uh, there are five imperatives in this, in this section here. And throughout Ecclesiastes, most of the imperatives, most of the commands that Koheleth is, is giving are related to fearing God and to obeying God. Uh, and this, there, it's interesting here that there are, there are five imperatives just in this section. And the first three are all right here in verse 7. He says, go, that's an imperative, Eat, imperative, eat your bread with joy, and drink, imperative, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Now we hear that, God has already approved what you do, and 
you know, we might think, oh, great, I can just live it up and live however I want to live and do whatever I want to do. Well, this is not a call to self-indulgence. It's not a call to hedonism. It's not a call to just throwing off all restraint and living how you want to live. The phrase, God has already approved what you do, um, can also be translated as God has accepted your works or God takes pleasure in your works. It's the idea that God has given us good gifts to enjoy. He's given us work to enjoy in this life, and God is pleased with those things. And those things are, are gifts that point us to him. I also think it's helpful to remember that pleasure in this life is not a sub-Christian idea. Um, you know, there are some strains or branches of, of Christianity for, for different reasons that have taken the view that any type of enjoyment, any type of pleasure in this life is, is sub-Christian and it's sinful. But I don't think that's the reality. I think God has given us good gifts to enjoy in this life. Um, we all, I'm sure, have different things in our lives that we find great enjoyment in, things that are honoring to the Lord. A um, couple things that came to my mind as I was thinking about this is uh, back in probably early 2016, it was a little while after my ordination, uh, my brother-in-law Tim and Pastor Dan Jackson from Green Bay, they took me out to dinner to celebrate my ordination at the Union Union Hotel in De Pere. And this is like the, there's, it's kind of this like, mysterious place like all the Packer players hang up used to hang out there back in the day and it's like this like really fancy place well they have, they have this secret menu that has a 32 ounce porterhouse steak and you better believe I ordered that 32 ounce porterhouse steak and I ate every last bite and I enjoyed the heck out of eating that steak it was amazing right it was joyful and I was with my brothers and we were celebrating and that was a great gift from the Lord, right? Praise God for steak. Or a couple weeks ago, I went out to pick Lillian Cabin up at camp in Iowa, and I, uh, I went out a, a night early, and uh, I stopped in, in southwest Wisconsin in Grant County. I went trout fishing, and I found this spot, and I was reading about it. Actually, I was in the same spot with uh, AJ, Danny's brother, like uh, four years ago, and I didn't even realize I was like a couple miles away from from that spot, but um, I drove down this crazy windy road for like a couple miles and ended up down in this, by this farm and went fishing for like four and a half hours and I didn't see another human being. I saw some cows, but I didn't see any other human beings for this whole time. And I, unfortunately I didn't catch any trout, but I was out in nature and I was just by myself. It was quiet and that was enjoyable. It was very enjoyable. And God gives us gifts like that. He gives us things in life to enjoy. He gives us things to get pleasure out of. And Koheleth kind of continues that idea as we see the symbolism in verse 8, the symbolism of celebrating. He's saying, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. In other words, he's saying, like, go to the wedding, go get dressed up, go celebrate with your friends, right? Have a good time. Enjoy the gifts that God has given you. Verse 9, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because this is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So men, married men, enjoy your life with your wife, right? Women, same message to you. Enjoy your life with your husband. 
Single people, this doesn't exclude you. Enjoy your earthly relationships. Enjoy spending time with other people. It's a good gift that God has given us. We have relationships to be around each other, to spend time with one another, and we're to enjoy those relationships. And then verse 10, this is kind of the, the carpe diem message of the Bible, right? Seize the day. This is the, the bucket list idea of what are the things that you want to do before you, you kick the bucket? What are the things that, that you're going to check off of your list? Verse 10, he says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. She's saying you are going to die. So enjoy your life. Do the things that you have been seeking to do. And how, but how can we enjoy life under the sun? Again, if this isn't just, just hedonistic pleasure, just doing whatever we want to do, how can we enjoy life under the sun? I think first it's reminding that all of our joy comes from being in Christ. It comes from being united with Christ. And there is no true enjoyment of life without that, without being in Christ. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides for us everything to enjoy. God richly provides for us everything to enjoy. So work on your bucket list, right? Check those things off, but do it with first, with, with first Timothy six seventeen in mind. That is God who richly provides for us everything to enjoy. Set your hope on him and enjoy what he has given you. Spend time with other people, enjoying life and glorifying God. We often refer to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question in the Shorter Catechism, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? Well, I don't think Koheleth's idea of enjoying God, or I don't think the writers of the catechism's idea of enjoying God was meant that you, if you're going to enjoy God, you have to go sit in a monastery 24-7. All you can do is pray and read your Bible and fast and be in a room by yourself and not ever see any other people and not enjoy life. I don't think that's the idea of what they're talking about. So what about you? When is the last time that you did something that was enjoyable and God glorifying. I think for most of us, it's not natural to, to put these two things together, right? We don't think about these categories together. We think, well, if, if I'm going to enjoy something, I, I just have to be selfish and it's all about me, right? Well, what if we, what if we change our mindset on that? What if we say, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to I'm going to go after my bucket list, but how can I do it while enjoying relationships with other people and glorifying God in it? Maybe you sit down with your spouse or maybe you sit down with your friends and say, hey, let's pray about this, right? How can we, how can we have a vacation this summer or how can we do something you know, this winter or whenever it's going to be that is going to be enjoyable 
and God glorifying? And how can we really put those two things together? And I think we need to pray about it because God has to be in it. We have to have wisdom from him in order to be able to do these things and not have it be just a hedonistic pursuit of pleasure. So we're gonna, if we're going to enjoy life and if we're going to face death under the sun, it's going to take wisdom from the Lord. And that leads us to our final question. How can we find wisdom under the sun? Koheleth begins chapter 11 by really dealing a death blow, uh, sorry, begins verse 11 by dealing a death blow to the wisdom of the world with five word pictures of the reality of life under the sun. He says, the race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the strong, bread is not to the wise, riches are not to the intelligent, and favor is not to those with knowledge. And this is how the wisdom of the world works, right? If you do these things, if you work hard at these things, then you'll get positive results. And this is the message of our culture all over the place. If you've been on 41 between Appleton and Oshkosh lately, you may have seen the Marine Corps' new billboard. It says, battles are won within. Okay? Battles are won within. Now, I get what they're trying to get at, right? But is that true? Like, are we going to win a war because every soldier just says, like, yeah, I won the battle within? That's just not how it works. That's not how life works. That's the message of the culture is be strong, be yourself, and you will succeed at whatever you do. Well, we all know it doesn't work that way. Or what about Office Max's new back-to-school ad campaign. Not sure if any of you guys have seen this. I was at Office Max picking up some uh, things that Lindsay got laminated a couple days ago. There's like five or six posters hanging in their window. One of them says, dance to the beat of your own drum. Yeah, because that's what we need. More people dancing to the beat of their own drums, right? Or unleash your inner power. The message is, be the best you, and whatever you put your mind to, you will succeed. But it's not true, right? We all know it's not true. And I'm not saying we shouldn't, you know, if you're, if you're a runner, I'm not saying you should throw away your running shoes and stop running because it's not worth just trying to, to train hard and, you know, better your time in a race. I'm not saying you should give away your gym membership and stop, you know, pumping iron and and trying to get stronger. It's not exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) But thankfully, Office Max didn't get it totally wrong. One of their messages said, make every day count, okay? I can get on board with that, right? That's what Koheleth is talking about here. Make every day count, right? Enjoy your life. Live for the Lord. I'm going to put that caveat on there. Live for the Lord. But yeah, absolutely. Make every day count, right? We want to teach our kids that. Make every day count. But it's not by unleashing your inner power, right? It's by turning to the Lord. And Koheleth is going to bring down the hammer on that nonsense. He's going to bring down the hammer on that message of it's all about you. It's all about being a better you. 
And he says in verse, uh, end of verse 11, he says, time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance happen to them all. And then verse 12, for man does not know his time. Now this word here for chance um, might not be the best translation just because of you know, what we think of when we think about chance. We think about just randomness, you know, rolling the dice. Well, things just happen, and, and who knows what's going to happen. Um, I don't think that's exactly what he's saying. It's a, a kind of a more literal translation of this is time and happenings happen to them all. Things happen. Life, life happens. Events happen. It's not random, but things happen to all of us. And we don't know when they're going to happen. God knows. And here again, he's specifically talking about death. He uses the picture of a fish caught in a net and a bird caught in a snare. And he's saying, death will come and it will be the end. And we will be caught up in that same way. So again, it's not, it's not bad to be swift. It's not bad to be strong. It's not bad to be wise or intelligent or knowledgeable. But he's saying at the end of the day, those things won't save you from the same fate that is coming to everyone. You are going to die, and the unfortunate and many unfortunate things are going to probably happen to you during your life. You're going to work really hard at something, right? We all probably have things that we've worked really hard for, and then just it hasn't panned out, right? Think about being an NFL athlete. Think about preparing your body for an NFL season. All the work, hours and hours in the weight room, eating top shelf food you know the healthiest food you probably got a personal chef you're out on the field a snap acl pops done for the year right this happened to one of the packers players or you know think about the people who have homes that have been wiped out by wildfire or by tornado you know you think about all the time all the sweat and tears and money and effort that you spent making your home a great place to live and putting your personal touch on it and just like that, it's gone, right? These events, they can make life just feel arbitrary. They can make things feel so meaningless under the sun. Now, Koheleth then, he's going to end this chapter by sharing an example of wisdom that he saw that seemed great to him. Some other translations say that he was greatly impressed by what he saw. He saw a little city that had a few men in it. And he saw a great king come against this city. The king besieged the city and set up siege works against the city. And then he sees a poor man, a poor wise man in the city who saves the city, who by his wisdom delivers the city. And we read this and we're like, tell us how, right? What did he do? Like, this city should be doomed, right? Like, there's no way a small city with just a few people in it is going to be able to defend themselves from this king and all this army that's, that's set up a siege against it. There's a poor wise man. He saves the city. What's going on? How did he do it? Well, we're not told. Kohath doesn't tell us what he did because I don't think that's important. I don't think that's actually the point of what, of what Koheleth is trying to get at. What he does tell us, and I, I think what is important, is that no one, in verse 15, no one remembered that poor man. And that should not be surprising to us. 
No one remembered that poor man. But Koheleth wants us, his readers, to remember that poor wise man. I think that's the whole point of how he concludes this chapter. He has this threefold wisdom is better in verses 16 through 18. Wisdom is better than might, verse 16. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Wisdom is better than might. Verse 17, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than a shouting of a ruler among fools. Finally, the third one, verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. I'm not always the biggest fan of uh, allegorical interpretations of the Bible. Um, there are some really far out things that uh, people have you know, taken some scriptures and, and had all kinds of crazy meanings. Um, I was reading one commentary, though, this week that had a pretty interesting take on this little, little story. And I don't think it is allegorical, um, so you just caveat there. But I don't think this is too far off. They said that the little city is the church. Right? The little city is us. We are the people of God. And the great king who comes against the city is Satan. And the despised poor man who saves the city, Sunday school answer, Jesus. Right? We are the few people in this little city. And we are under siege from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus is the poor, wise man. Jesus is our deliverer. But his wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Certainly not out there, right? Not outside of the city. His wisdom is despised in the world around us. And I think, unfortunately, his wisdom is sometimes despised in the city too, right? His wisdom is despised here within the walls, we are the ones who saw the work that he did, right? And we still forget about him. We still forget the work that he did. But it is better. It is better to hear his wise words in quiet instead of the shouting of rulers among fools out there. His wisdom is better than weapons of war. What did Jesus say to Pilate? Before he was crucified. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. So how can we find wisdom under the sun? It's by belonging to the kingdom that is not of this world, where true wisdom can be found. I'm going to conclude with kind of what I said in the beginning, kind of the big idea, the answer to those three questions. If we find a better kind of wisdom, an over-the-sun kind of wisdom that comes from a kingdom that is not of this world, if we find that kind of wisdom, then we can truly enjoy our vain life under the sun, knowing that we were made for something more, right? We were made for an over-the-sun existence a better existence and we can face death knowing that death doesn't get the final word this table 
that we have here this afternoon. This is a reminder that death doesn't get the final word. This table is a picture of joy and celebration. It's saying, put on those white garments, put the oil on your head, come and celebrate. Celebrate the work that the Lord has done. And it's a vivid reminder of the wisdom of God to save sinners like us. We're reminded in the bread that Christ's body was broken for us. That his blood in the wine and in the juice, his blood was poured out for us. That he might come, that he might stand in our place, that he might pay the penalty for our sins and buy us back, reconcile us to God. That is what we celebrate when we come to this table. And it's not just a table for for those who are part of Living Stone. It's not a table for Presbyterians. It's a table for all of those who say, Jesus is my Lord, and Jesus is my Savior, and I trust in him alone.